I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the Financial Times in London, this is Hard Currency. I'm Katie Martin and I'm joined by Paul Lambert from Insight Investment. Hi, Paul. Hi, Katie. I feel like the wheels are coming off the market somewhat at the moment. I feel like running into the forest and buying tinned food and guns and that sort of thing. Am I wrong? Is it as bad as it looks out there? I think it's extremely concerning. I think that there's um, a combination of shorter term kind of cyclical factors that the market has started to focus on. And then it's started to consider those short term cyclical factors against the background of the structural kind of situation after the global financial crisis. And I think that, you know, the gloominess is actually largely justified. Yeah, so... We had Janet Yellen talking this week, talking about how the financial markets have gone a bit crazy and that's not helpful for credit conditions and it's not helpful for what would have been a hiking path for the Fed. How nervous should we be about what the markets are telling us or are the markets operating in a sort of vacuum where the massive rally in gold, in the yen, in the euro are actually a bit disconnected? I think we kind of have to think about what's happened in markets very recently in the context of what went before. So if you look at the sell-off in equity markets that we've seen of late, for example, if you look at that in the context of the rally, the recovery we've seen since 2008, actually you could come to the conclusion that what we're at is the beginning of the correction and not the end. And uh, if you think about the environment that correction is happening, well, you know, regulation um, was designed to um, shore up um, the banks and to ensure that they wouldn't be the first victim of a, of another kind of financial market meltdown. But unfortunately, they just passed the baton by restricting liquidity in the market and meaning that, you know, actually the owners of the assets are the people that end up on the hook this time. And I think the markets are realising that. They're trying to move positions. They can't move positions because there's no liquidity. That's forcing prices to move. And it's forcing prices to move from levels which were basically the result of a policy from central banks which was designed to cause asset prices to be overvalued. Now, they say they're not overvalued, but I don't know, call me cynical, but if you follow a policy for seven years designed to make asset prices overvalued, they probably are going to be overvalued. So to that extent, mission accomplished. But (laughs) my sense is that what's really concerning people now is that the central banks really can't do anything about it this time. So the Bank of Japan has gone negative. The Swedes have gone even more deeply negative today. And there just seems to be, you know, flip side of that in the markets is that it makes people more cheerful. It makes risky assets perform better. That's just not working anymore. Is there anything that central banks can do? I actually don't think that this is any longer a central bank issue. I mean, I think that the zero bound monetary and fiscal policy largely become the same thing. And so I think we're at the point where really what you've seen in, you know, what you're kind of seeing in places like Japan now is, you know, or I think what you'll see is fiscal expansion, which will be financed from the central bank's balance sheet. So that becomes you know, it becomes the same thing, fiscal monetary policy. And I think the point is that independent central banks where fiscal authorities have largely been trying to follow policies of fiscal consolidation of trying this kind of 
path down negative rates. The problem is, it seems to me that it's not really an issue that interest rates are too high. There's a lack of money demand. And in terms of pushing those interest rates into negative, you know, why didn't we do it before? Well, because we were worried about the effect it might have on the financial system and on banks. And guess what? It seems to be having a negative mm-hmm effect on the financial system and banks so i actually think what we're going to end up having if we need easier policy which is what i think we will end up needing i think we're you know um in in a global slowdown now then i think we will need easier policy but i think it may not be the banks that can deliver it the central banks that can deliver it that's a pretty uh depressing message i mean <laughs> well, I mean, it is and it isn't in the sense that humanity has recovered many times from worse situations than this. You know, if you'd have asked someone, you know, what their outlook for the global economy was in 1944, they wouldn't have expected the kind of recovery you saw in the 50s and the 60s. If you'd have asked somebody, you know, what their expectation was, again, you know, at many other times in history, we, you know, we do find ways. But the way out of this is going to be, you know, innovation, rising productivity, shifting resources to places that have spare labour, debt write-offs, like, you know, massive debt write-offs, I would expect in the end, and we will recover. But, you know, so far, what we've largely done is look for a response to a normal kind of cycle. You know, we've had very dramatic monetary easing, and we've had unconventional monetary policy but we've effectively had a cyclical response to a structural problem and i think that what we need to have is a structural response to a structural problem and and policymakers and politicians haven't got there yet but they will get there is it not just a case of giving opec a poke and saying come on you're not helping global inflation here well i think the worst possible thing that could happen to equities for example is that oil prices go up now i know it's become very popular that people think if oil prices go down, that's bad for global assets. But actually, it's not bad for global assets. It's never been bad for global assets. I don't think it's bad for global assets structurally here. It might be bad in the short term because some reserve managers in the Middle East have had to sell some holdings. But, you know, that historically would have just been a deviation from fair value and we'll go back to that fair value in the end. If you want to put oil prices back up and start to starve consumers of real income... That, for me, is not the solution. That's not the problem. It's not the solution. So, you know, I think that's just completely barking up the wrong tree. That's people looking at a correlation that's been in place for a few months and making some structural assumptions, which I think are just plain wrong. So we need to kind of rip it up and start all over again. Well, I don't think we need to rip it up and start all over again. I think that we need to have a realistic assessment of where we are. And where we are is in a world where we've got more debt than we had in 2008, The global financial crisis was largely caused by there being too much debt. We've got a situation where a lot of that debt has also got cross-currency risk in it, some quite often unhedged cross-currency risk. Uh, We've got deteriorating demographics in the places where most of the capital is housed, and so we need to have a plan. But, you know, we're, as I said, we've innovated our way out of, found our way out of these situations before. We'll find it out, our way out of this again. But unfortunately, at the moment, I don't think we're having the innovation in policy required to find our way out of the situation. So I suspect it will get worse before it gets better. So short of buying guns and gold and shacks in the woods, how do you trade this stuff? Because markets just aren't responding to the usual stimuli in the usual ways. Well, you know what? In 2008, something that people should have learned, but they quickly forgot, is that zero is sometimes a good return. And so, 
You're aiming high for the ship. Well, you know what? Sometimes zero is a good return. If you can preserve capital in a market when everybody else is losing theirs, then at the end you're able to buy more value, more real goods and services, more tangible assets with it than you can at the beginning. So that's something that I think should be borne in mind. Now, the policy that was followed by central banks was designed to push people out of their comfort zones by moving one stage up the risk curve. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, they buy the government bonds. You used to buy the government bonds, so now you buy credit. You used to buy credit, so those yields get too low, so now you buy high yield credit, etc., etc., etc. So part of what's going on at the moment is people are just kind of moving back down the risk curve. However, the moving down the risk curve, they're trying to do it in markets where there is no liquidity, and so they're finding it extremely hard to move down the risk curve. But, you know, if you have an opportunity here to have a return on zero or have a modest return, maybe a modest return is what you should be looking for here, then, you know, that I think will leave you in a very strong position in the long run. And so I think that people have just kind of had expectations of returns that are completely inconsistent with the growth that's being delivered by the economy. You know, ultimately, returns and GDP are linked. But in the event that we are in a horrible situation and you should seek safety, if, for example, that's in the currency markets, do the yen and the Swiss franc and the dollar work for those purposes? Well, I think you have to consider, you know, why are these currencies going up at the moment? So, you know, one reason why the yen is going up is because the Japanese have been following a policy since the introduction of Abenomics, which was designed to encourage Japanese investors to push their money offshore. Mm. So what are the Japanese investors at the moment doing? They're coming quickly to that conclusion that zero might be a good return, so they're just bringing money back home. There will be some speculative element of flow, but, you know, I would suspect that the majority of the flow that's pushing the yen down is just money in Japan going back home and other people in illiquid asset classes realising that that correlation exists and using that currency pair as a hedge for what they're doing because they can't hedge themselves in their own asset class. So buying the yen in defiance almost of the Bank of Japan is, is one way around it. Well, I think that buying the yen has certainly been one way around it. And I think that as long as we're in this environment, the pressure for the yen to rise is going to remain in place. I've got no doubt that the Bank of Japan will try to do mm. something to avert you know, further yen strength. It's certainly not what they want to see in terms of achieving their targets, you know, which I think is going to make for a very volatile market. So, you know, by volatility, I think has been the uh, has, has been probably the smartest thing you could have done. Buying the yen has certainly been a smart thing uh, over the last week or so. It didn't seem so smart immediately after the Bank of Japan's last move. I think central banks will become increasingly concerned the longer this goes on. I'm sure there's many people in central banks who are hoping that this is just, you know, the market having a, a, a bit of a hissy fit. But I think there's probably a lot of other people in central banks who are very concerned about these long-term structural issues, the kind of long-term structural issues that people like Larry Summers have highlighted. Yeah. And uh, I think there'll be some head-scratching going on. Policymakers will be trying to figure out what they do next. Aren't we all? That's all we've got time for for now, but thank you, Paul. Um, until next time, keep an eye on ft.com slash markets. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.